Hospitality Meets is brought to you by Rotacloud, the staff scheduling app for hospitality teams. Rotacloud lets you create and share rotas, record attendance, and manage your team's annual leave, all in less time than it takes to make a brew. It can also make life easier for your staff, allowing them to check their rotas, request holiday, and even pick up extra shifts, all through the Rotacloud mobile app. Start your 30-day free trial today by visiting rotacloud.com forward slash fill and find out how much easier managing your team can be. Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Joe Harley, co-founder of Carrero and Hendrick and Hyde, an all-round people champion. Coming up on today's show, Joe gives Phil a counselling session. How are you feeling? How's your mental health? How's your physical health? What's next for you? Phil gets flummoxed. I'm flummoxed. Flummoxed. And Joe starts a movement. Forget national service, I think everyone should go and work in hospitality. All that and so much more as Joe chats us through her wonderful career so far, as well as giving us some insight into the major industry itch that she's scratching with her wonderful company, Carrero. It's a fabulous chat with someone who cares deeply about hospitality, reflected in the work that she's doing. Please don't forget to give us a subscribe and a share. Enjoy. And a huge hospitality meets. Welcome to the wonderful Joe Harley. Hello, Phil. How are you? Yes, I am great. How are you? Very well. I've got a bit of a cold, so you have to excuse me if I'm coughing a little bit, but it seems to be that 100-day cold that's going around. keeps coming, going. 100 days? Yes. Oh, my God. I've not had a one-day cold yet. (laughs) Well, you're healthy. Good for you. Yeah. I don't know why or how, but anyway, (laughs) I'll take it for sure. But yeah, how's, how's life? Where do we find you today? Life is good. I am in the Cotswolds today, so I work from home two or three times a week, and then in London a couple of days a week, where my resident office at the moment is Brewdog Waterloo, where yeah, where I see lots of other, actually quite a few sort of hospitality businesses end up there it's as well. Hub, so hasn't it? It really has. It's really cool, actually. Um, I don't know when this has been released, but Chris and Kieran from yeah. Atollo and um, Tech on Toast, they've got an event there in two weeks, I think, called Service, which yes, which is I'm probably. Really- could have maybe have been yesterday when this okay. gets released. So it was really good. Yeah. I had a really good time. Let's do a Graham Norton thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. What um, was your favourite bit? Um, the people bit. I like the people I'm bit. Yeah. All about the people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favourite bit. Yeah. So yeah, that place is brilliant. I mean, we gave up an office in pandemic, just too expensive. People didn't want to come in. We'd been practicing yeah. working flexibly for a really, really long time, anyway. But actually, we were sort of paying for this office that sometimes there'd only be two or three of us in. And now I'm sure we'll go on and explore and I'll explain a bit more about. But there's only four, um, well, five of us now sort of full time in the Carrero business. And we've all got such busy lives with our personal lives and what we're doing at work that actually just having a central place in London where we can meet, grab a coffee, we can co-work. There's meeting rooms there. There's podcast rooms. And as I say, yeah. bumping into people that we know. There's life. There's energy. Yeah. Yeah, it just yeah. works really well. And they're really good. They just don't mind you having, I mean, we always end up having more than just a cup of tea, but they just don't mind if you just come in and have a cup of tea. Like, right. It's really cool. So yeah, I really like it there. And there's yeah. a slide. Who doesn't love a slide? There's a what? Eh? <laughs> have you not I been there? No, do you know what? As a as a podcaster, this is this is a sacrilege, isn't it? That yeah. I, uh, with the, them having a podcasting studio and I see Chris with Tech on Toast, you know, yeah. operating out of there all, all the time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, to this day, I nearly made it in, and then literally as I was going in the door, somebody shouted across the street, Phil! And then I went, I turned around, and we ended up going somewhere else. So that is the closest no. I've actually been uh, to oh. going in. Yeah, there's a slide, there's a bowling alley, there's an ice cream van, and there is a secret bar for girls like me that like cocktails. If you go upstairs behind the ice cream van, there's a door, and if you press the button, if they're not full, they'll let you in, and it's just oh. the most amazing cocktails Oh right. my goodness. And we ended up going there, me and the three boys that I co-founded Carrero with. And they're um, let's just say they're a lot younger and a lot cooler than I am. But anyway, we went there and it was one of the hottest days of the year. And we ended up thinking, well, let's just go and have a cocktail. And it's a it's a dark room. So there's us on the hottest day of the year in a room with no windows and no light, but the cocktails were so good that we just stayed there. So that's a definite recommendation for me. Go and find right. the secret bar. And it's not that secret now, you've just given us the directions. I know. Well, yeah. let's see how many people listen to your podcast and then we'll see how many people go to the secret bar. Oh, they'll be inundated after this. I mean, I'm sure. Next time I go up there, they'll be, you can't come in because Joe Harley's podcast said. 
<laughs> but I love I love that actually as a concept. And obviously, we'll get onto your journey at some point in this mm. this discussion. But from a hospitality perspective, that's what that's people want experiences, right? So something a little bit different and quirky. And it sounds like they've created a space that offers that for sure. Yeah, sure. It's I think they called it was it the Instagram generation where it used back in my day. I used to run pubs and. Um, Back in my day, it was all about the repeat customer. So we did used to do schemes like, you know, the 100 Club, where we had to remember 100 people and what they drank. So when they walked through the door, you'd have their drink ready for them or people would have their own glasses behind the bar. And even the bar that I ran was a Mr. Q's. I remember them, pool tables, meat raffles, that kind of thing. Um, And even in... Even then, you know, a, a bar that was experiential, it was Mr. Q's, it was all pool tables. It was about the regulars and people coming back time and time again. And I just don't think that because now we've got this sort of the Instagram generation or this next generation where people want to go somewhere and they want to show off about on social media and then they want to go to the next place and share it. There's that, it's like outfits, isn't it? You don't do the same thing twice anymore or as much mm. as you used to do. So yeah. things change slightly in the way that I think people operate to a certain extent because you want yeah it's it's about getting people in the door and providing something unique rather than people feeling like there's a warm and friendly environment to come and that brood of waterloo i think it's got it both really yeah and well i mean if you get that right then the power of social media will take care of your marketing for you right i mean i went to camden market for the first time actually for the first time there we are there's not not since it was the first time just last uh, last summer and I went with a mate who brought uh, his kids with him and we uh, went with them and they had given us the list of places that we had to go mm. and uh, you know one of them was because there was, these were the best loaded skins that you could get anywhere and they'd featured on TikTok and and, and all of that so you know you get that right and yeah you it could be a license to print money i guess yeah i think it's like anything now like cold calling, email, whenever you're, when you're trying to sell anything from a product, a bar, a venue, for me, what, what I do, it's all about recommendations, referrals. And I still think it's about building relationships. Like I just am a massive believer. I think you can, I agree. obviously there's loads you can do with digital marketing and as a business, we definitely need to do more, but actually the power of somebody saying, oh, you have a need, go and talk to these people. I mean, that that's, that's immense. And yeah. that's what, yeah, that's what we what we've built our business a lot on is sort of reputation, recommendations, doing the right thing. And mm. I think that's really important for any business. It doesn't matter what you do. I completely agree. And I think I, I well, I like to believe that that always wins in the long run. It might not be the the short term transactional approach to you know getting business in now, but I'd much rather have something that's sustainable for the longer term rather than worrying about the moment that you're in. Yeah, I mean, I think there's one business that we work with yeah I think it took us about 15 years probably of talking to that business in one way shape or form or another yeah. until we actually started working with them and and it just becomes a natural thing that you just I never think of anything I do as selling it's just helping people out making relationships I believe every conversation is a good conversation and something will come of it one day eventually yeah. in the end and I suppose both my businesses aren't specific to hospitality they could they could operate anywhere but they work in hospitality because of the networks that I've created and Jane who I run one of the businesses with and I was with in a previous life you know we we just we like chatting to people and finding out what they do mm. <laughs> a bit like you really yeah indeed well I mean we're a case in point right we, we did yes. a speculative <laughs> coffee chat well two years ago yeah, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. something like that. And yeah. uh, and still, with each chat that we have, we feel like we're getting closer to how we're going to work together. Um, yes. But we haven't quite nailed it yet. But, yes. um, but, but we will. <laughs> it will. It will present itself in the fullness of time. That's it, isn't it? And, and I think we've both talked about before about, you know, at certain points in your career, you I suppose you just get on, you get on the the work wagon, don't you? You get on the, on the, on the hamster wheel and you just keep going. You get up every day, you do what you do. And then every now and again, you step back and think, like, what am I doing and what is my purpose? And I think that's what, well, I know that's what we've talked about. It's like, OK, I know the purpose of the businesses, but why am I doing what I do? Hmm. And it's funny, we're just um, at the moment, the tech business, Carrero, we're starting to work with um, Rob Lidyard from who founded 
and exited Yapster, uh, which is an employee comms app. And I worked with him very closely in a partnership, partnership basis with our technology. But he um, he introduced a concept called EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System, into Yapster just before he, he exited. And a couple of our clients use it as well. And we've started using that now in our business. And now I can't remember where I'm going with that. Oh, yeah. And so part of our homework for doing this was that we had to go and read Good to Great, which I read about a million years ago. Mm. But it just reminded me of that concept. I, I think they call it the hedgehog model, where... When you look, if you imagine three circles and you have a circle is what you love doing, a circle is what you're really good at, and a circle is what you can make money from. If you're doing the thing that joins those circles and in the middle, that's when you know you've got it. Right. Um, So, you know, and I was really thinking about that. You know, I love what I do. I think we're quite good at it. I think it's the making money bit that I need to get better at. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it will come. It will come. I think this is the, 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 if you are doing something that, speaks to you and and gets you out of bed in the morning you know without you even thinking about it and um you know i do believe that when you're doing things well and and to the best of your ability and it really comes from the heart is that the money does come it might not come immediately but you have to kind of stitch your guns and persevere 22 years later (laughs) (laughs) hey look it depends what your measure of success is i've had a very very amazing amazing career so the business before the one that I'm in, the ones I'm in now, Purple Cubed, you know, we did that for, Jane and I did that for 21 years. And you Mm. think, were we successful? Well, did we raise a load of money and sell it for a load of money? No, we didn't. Did COVID really hit us hard? Yeah, it did. You know, we're a, we supply into an industry that was decimated, right? So yes, of course, you know, it goes without saying it hit us hard. But did we have the best time on the journey? Yes, we did. Did we both have, you know, have we both been able to, bring up our children and to have a flexible work life and make some really, really great relationships and help hundreds and hundreds of companies be better places to work, you know, explore the world of digital before digital was really a thing, you know, and have a really good time on the way. Yeah, we did. So there's something about measure of success as well. Sure. And it's not just about the money, you know, obviously I need to feed my children and, you know, and have a salary and money is always a really nice, you know, Everybody always wants to, we do loads of surveys and, you know, if you ask people what they would like most, they're going to say, you know, I'd like a pay rise, I'd like a pay rise. But I think, I can't remember what the stat is, but I think it's after three days, you forget about it again. Whereas there's so much other stuff that you can do for people that's more than money. So I think my whole career, it's been much more about the, yes, if a byproduct of it was that we made so much money that one day I can go and live on an island, great. But also at the moment... I don't really want to be on an island. I want to be here still doing what I'm doing. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. And I, th- I think the the thing about the the, the money argument, uh, as it were, which it's not mm. really an argument, but it is now, um, mm. is that, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of people as a recruiter, I get conversations with a lot of people who are looking to move on because they don't feel maybe that they're getting paid enough and that they know that they could get paid more. But it's one part of the jigsaw. And, and you know, ultimately, if you make a move for money, the amount of conversations I've had with people who regret that, you know, it, it's it, the most important thing, I think, beyond anything. And your your statistics can either back me up or tell me that I'm talking out of my uh, uh, other home. <laughs> I imagine um, I'll back them up. <laughs> um, is that if people are engaged with what they're doing and they're, they, you know, they, they feel like they belong and they feel like their voice is being heard, that these things are actually fundamentally way more important than the money you get paid for it. And of course, people need money to have a life and and pay the bills and put food on the table and, and you know, enjoy the, the fruits of hospitality out there as a consumer. But at the same time, if you're in a job and it pays you well, but you, you don't have any of those other things, you're, it's a surefire way to depression, isn't it? Yep. I think depression, I, th- I mean, you know, it's on exactly that, that the reason that we started um, Purple Cubed, which was all about retention, all about like keeping people in the business employing when we started the business employee engagement didn't exist as a concept so we weren't talking about employee engagement it was the McKinsey war for talent had just been released and really people for the first time were thinking okay how do we retain people Jane and I both have backgrounds in hospitality Jane and ran a recruitment company for 15 years and in that recruitment business she before she left and she did some research and she interviewed thousands of people just by having the you know having the recruitment business that she was able to do that in and she found that if people are communicated with in an adult-to-adult manner, 
if they're given development that's individualised, if there's a clear career path in place for them, if they have leaders that are aspirational, and if there are very clear values and expectations within the business as to what good looks like, then pay becomes number nine, if you are paying fairly in the first place. Pay yeah. is very, very important when you can't live. I'm not, I'm, I'm not even going there with that. You know, that is a, you know, that's a basic need. We need to be paid enough to live. Yeah. Above all that, it sinks down. You know, you can pay somebody less if you properly, properly giving them those five things. And it's off the back of that research that that business was born, really. And that hasn't changed. If you look at, you know, I mean, I read a lot, you know, Towers Watson, Blessing White, a lot of Josh Burson. If you're a people person and you don't follow Josh Burson, do. He's, um, you know, I'm definitely a massive fangirl there. You know, I read all this stuff and it's this, it, it hasn't changed. You know, we do things differently. The technology that can sit behind these things is different now. It is. But fundamentally, as a leader in a business, if you're hitting those five points with your employees, then you will keep them. Mm. And we we run best places to work in hospitality and best places to work in travel, but best places to work in hospitality that hits 12,000 people over a hundred organizations every year. And that survey is slightly different in that we don't just ask people a set of sort of predetermined questions. We ask them first to rate to, we ask them what's important to them about coming to work. So you go on to the survey and it's like, well, what's important to you? And they choose six things. And then we do a bit of a values elicitation type exercise with them. So then we'll say, okay, so you say fun's important, but is it more important than freedom? And you say that the culture of the business is important, but is it more important than fun? So you start to work out what are your top six drivers about coming to work. And then we ask them to rate the companies on what's important to that individual. Right. So that's how that survey works. So it's quite that's different. Really cool. I like that. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> so you may go. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. There's still time to enter. No, is there? Is there still time to enter? I don't know. There might still be time to enter. Yeah. <laughs> have a look on the website. I'll put yeah, the links in the show notes. Yeah. But um, last year, what the things that were most important to those 12,000 people were working in a safe and positive environment, which you kind of think should be a given. Psychological safety, we're talking a lot about that now. So it's about coming to work and feeling safe. You know, so how are you getting home? You know, do you feel like you can emotionally share things with the team. So that's really, really important to people. And then the second one is working for a company that cares about its people. And that's the first time that's appeared in the top three. And I just think it's really telling of this time, this age, that actually people want to go to work and be cared about, which mm. is very, very different from when I was running that pub that I was talking about earlier, where actually if I didn't cry twice a day, my old school landlord used to think he probably wasn't doing a good job and get down in the cellar and do something with a barrel, you know? So, you know, people want that and they want work-life balance. That's the third one. But the one I keep coming back to is people want to know they're cared about. And, and again, comes back to the reason why I get up in the morning is that I want to help organizations sort of, you know, help organizations to communicate with their people that they genuinely do care i've never met anyone in a business that says i don't care about the people mm. so there's a miss there's a mismatch somewhere right because we've got all these amazing operators in the industry and all these amazing people teams and then you've got the people saying we want to feel cared about yet we've still got a massive retention problem there's still you know there's all kinds of stuff going on yeah and there, there are things outside i get that you know I'm, I'm not stupid enough to think that it's all about that but I think that's, you know, that's why we do what we do, which the, so the technology business is all about having really good conversations with people. So the right conversations with the right people at the right time about their careers. So as an individual, like I can, I can drive my own career. I can talk about my development with my manager. I can, I can understand, you know, what's happening in the business. Um, I can say if I want some development, if I want if I want to move on up, I can, but I don't have to if I don't want to. But just giving people the space to have those conversations makes them feel cared about. And I guess, you know, there's some, you know, people tech, it's, you know, there's a myriad of different platforms out there. And some platforms are all about automation, automating processes to make it easier so operators can go and do what they do best. Ours is about enablement. It's much more about giving individuals the the space to do this and say, so have some time to sit down and think about what does good look like here? What do you want to do next? How are you feeling? How's your mental health? How's your physical health? What's next for you? And then give managers the tools to have those conversations and have them properly. Because 
so especially during COVID, so many leaders and managers were promoted into positions and just not given any real development about this is what it means to lead a person here. Mm. And then for businesses, data, data is king, right? So you want you want to be able to see what people are when people are ready to move on and what development they might need and who's really, you know, who are the great performers, who might be struggling and, you know, who might need some help. And, and now it's starting to sound a bit like, oh, but didn't we used to sort of do that and call it an appraisal? And didn't that was that once a year? And wasn't that a horrible thing that everybody didn't want to do? And you think, yeah, that's we're just trying to disrupt the whole appraisal thing, really. Like continuous conversations that people should be having anyway. Yeah. They just don't have time to do. And if one more person says to me, but we talk to our people anyway. I'm like, do you? Do you mm, really? Do you really? Do you sit down? Yeah, do you sit what's down your retention rate at? Mm-hmm. Do you sit down with every single person and do you say, I'm going to give you 45 minutes of my undivided attention to talk about you, your career, your performance, how we can help you. And it's not about backward looking and saying, these are the things we want you to do. And are you behaving in this way? Do you know what the number, you know, we, we talk to lots of people and there are some amazing, amazing operators out there who have amazing consumer brand and a really good employer brand. And I go in and I speak to them and I'm like, what does good look like here? And it's really hard for people to articulate. Yeah. But that's that's probably, that's natural, I guess, in some respects for a lot of companies. Because whatever size you are, you probably start as a you know, one-site independent business. And it's, over yeah. the course of life, it's become something else, perhaps. And of course, whenever anyone within that leadership team moves on, whether it's the founder or whether it's the general manager or whether it's the ops director or, or whatever, the the culture and everything that comes with that is going to change because that person is a key fundamental part of being the, the custodian of that culture. So you take that person out and you, re, you try to replace like for like, but maybe the just values are not quite same aligned. So there's a little bit of change that happens naturally anyway. But that then is accentuated, as you say, that if you then have a situation whereby you've got uh, a company who actually does not know what good looks like within their business, despite the fact that they might be doing really well yeah. from a business perspective, a retention perspective and all of that. These are the things, I guess, that, that allow it to, through the, the fullness of evolution through its lifetime, just keeps its identity really centered uh, around what it, it, it's it's there to stand for and what it's... Uh, and what as you say what good looks like yeah I think you know thing obviously things grow and change and I think if you as a founder when you've got one two three sites it's really easy right you you can you can go around and you can be insight and you can mm. do stuff but even as you grow and you can't be everywhere the whole time isn't it you know sh- shouldn't the principles by which you started the company pe- people think that if you articulate your values and you put some behaviours behind what you expect people to do and what good looks like here in terms of behaviours, it, it, it's corporate. And I think values have got a really bad reputation to some respect, in some respects because of that. Because a culture will happen naturally. It's just as a leader or a founder of a business, you can absolutely guide that culture. But you do need to sort of be saying, but this, this, is, this is what I expect from you. You know, if you look at performance, you know, in hospitality... It's really, it's, I think it's really quite simple. If you've got a team member and they are living your values with clearly defined behaviours, if they're living those every day, if they're doing their job as defined on their job description, and if they get on really, really well with the team, then they're probably doing a really good job. Mm. And if you're a manager, if you're developing and retaining your people um, and engaging them and you know doing all the good stuff, then you're probably a really good leader. And... I think people get really caught up in sort of performance reviews and, you know, how, you know, do we need to have a competency matrix over five different levels? You know, and all this. no, you don't. You just need to sit down and talk to people and have really clear expectations about what, what is good performance here and what does that look like? And yes, that can change over time. Of course, it can change over time. But I think most founders would like to know that if they left their business, isn't it, isn't, isn't it a, a really good judge of a really good founder or a really good business if you can just leave it or go on holiday and everything just operates the same yeah you know that's that's what you'd want isn't it yeah. you'd want to go from four to 30 sites and know that if you walked into any of those 30 sites whatever you decide that should look like it'll look the same in all of them 
Yeah, absolutely. And that, well, that all stems from ultimately the people that you bring into your business. Once totally. you've got a very clear identity as to, as you say, what good looks like. Yeah. And, you know, you want a diverse range of people, but to have some underlying principles about what we look for here, you know, that's, you know, for example, you know, compli- Jane, Jane and I, when we ran the, when the business, we used to look for people that were compliant because we are quite controlling. And so people that weren't compliant would, I mean, we have hired some very not, we go against our own advice as well, but we have hired some people that aren't compliant before. And, um, you know, it's a shit show. It just is. It, it, because it didn't work in our business. Now, the one person I'm talking about, she went by saying Jodie Goldman. She's got her own business now. She's had her own business for going on 10 years. She's amazing because she needed to have her own business. She didn't mm. need to be working for two controlling people. Yeah. And oh, I'll just give her a plug, actually, because like, I love her and she's on. Is the, um, she's amazing woman in leadership. So if anybody out there wants to do anything with women in leadership, she's got a great face forward group for like women in hospitality. Um, anyway, just thought I'd give her a little shout out. Sounds like I need to get her on the show to talk about that. That sounds you do actually, you should. Yes, I need to go back to my role of giving you people to put on your podcast. (laughs) Yeah, my my booking agent. Yeah, your booking agent. You need to talk to Rob about his EOS journey as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes, I'm all of a sudden incredibly aware of the fact that we've been talking for 28 minutes and we've we're literally doing your journey in reverse at the moment, so we talked a little bit tiny little bit about what you're doing now tiny little bit about yes. purple cubed but actually what i'd like to do now is go back to or maybe we should just do your whole story in reverse i don't know what's the right thing to do <laughs> who knows i mean there isn't much before purple cubed because i'm not that old <laughs> <laughs> and you were there for about 27 billion years about 27 no 20 21 yeah 21 right. years Right, yeah, but no. Let, let's 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 do this. Let's go back to the beginning. Okay. And um, yeah, how did you get into hospitality in the first place? I know that you went into to the world of pubs, but um, yeah, how did that all come about? How did I get into the world of pubs? Oh well, I gosh, I went to. We'll start from. You probably don't want to know pre university. I grew up in. Gosh, I was born. I was born in Ascot, which sounds really nice, but actually, I lived in Bracknell and then I lived in Croydon. So right. You know, I'm saying nothing. Saying nothing. I mean, and that's the equivalent of slow Windsor, I think, isn't it? Yes. As in Windsor is lovely, and Slough Mm. is considered to be less so. It's lovely. Mum and my dad grew up on the Brickwell Estate in Slough, and my nan, she was. They were like in. I think it was just post-war. She was living in Hammersmith, and um, the local authority said to her, "Oh." we'd love you know we think you know you've got three kids we'd love to move you to this beautiful we'd love to move you to suburbia it's going they basically sold her this dream of living in this beautiful green belt and it was going to be amazing and moved her out of london obviously to sell the buildings i would imagine um and she ended up on the brickwell estate in slough which in the set in the 50s 60s 70s was not the uh not the most it was maybe an area Um, uh, ready for regeneration Maybe, yeah. Um, and that's where my dad met my mum, actually. They met when they were 15. And my mum is the eldest of eight children. Right. And um, so I'm really lucky, actually. I've still got a grandpa who's alive. So he's uh, 96 now. Wow, him. nice. So eight children, 24 grandchildren, and more great-grandchildren than any of us. We don't even know how many they are. No one knows, I don't yeah. think. It's, yeah, there's a lot of us. Goodness. Anyway, so... I grew up in Croydon and then went to university to do, I was going to do P-Sport Science at Loughborough, but I wrecked my knee and um, so I couldn't do any of the practical element of that. So I'd always been quite sporty, playing netball, dancing. And um, so I ended up doing recreation management, which was a tiny course at the time, um, which was still in the P-Sport Science department, but it was all about sort of the philosophy, um, the philosophy of sport, the economics of leisure, uh, really interesting actually, sort of apart from statistics on a Thursday morning after we'd been out on a Wednesday that wasn't very interesting I did um leisure and recreation management at university did you I did and I did it because oh I, yeah I did I, I did it because I really didn't have a scooby-doo what I wanted to do no. basically and what? like you I had I had some some sporting talent mm-hmm. and um wanted to be to pursue a career in sports science but I was a pretty lazy kid to be honest so uh, I didn't really knuckled down at exam time so I didn't get the results that I needed to go in and study sports science and so leisure, leisure and rec was the uh, recreation management was the uh, the backup option which no I, way. Uh, Where did you go? Uh, to Glasgow well it was a 
there's a campus of Glasgow, which is in Ayr, which actually is no longer there. They've bulldozed it and it's flats now. But yeah, oh, so there we are. There you go. See? Yeah. New, yeah. That's, I've never met anyone who's ever done that course before. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you. God, when, when the guy came to us to, to um, teach us about economics. Oh, yeah. Yes. And I, do you know that this is the, there was a big learning for me in this and I'm going off piste here, but actually the, there's a, there's a good point in all of this yeah. is that that highlighted to me that the, the way in which you're being taught is massively important to how oh. you learn because yeah. here was a guy who was like a mad scientist. He had like mad white hair that just went in all directions, really of the mold for a, a university lecturer. And I just could not engage with his learning style at all. Was crapping myself ahead of the exam yeah. because I was just so nowhere near the subject and um and a mate of mine who had got it had sunk in did a two-hour workshop with anybody who was struggling and in that, those two hours i learned well i learned enough to pass the subject which was going going to be the wow. one that i was really scared about not actually getting through and and he broke it down in layman's terms like we were all kids which was perfect for me in that moment because it was a subject i knew nothing uh, about yeah. And yeah, so I, I learned a lot in that, that actually, that's a big shout out to Colin. I think, you know, we've talk, spoken about this before. Um, <laughs> it's It was a, a massive learning experience in itself to then realize that actually, okay, so you learn this way. That's how you get that information that's complicated. Yeah. And, you know, if, you're, if your brain's not used to working that way, you need to be taught that way. So you can take that forward with you then in a learning environment. And, and that's the same in leadership, right? I mean, it's the same when yes. you're, if you're teaching somebody the ropes, you, it's not necessarily about you going, I'm going to teach them this way because that's the way I learned. You need to ask them the question, how do you learn? You know? what's, yeah, what's important to you and how do you yeah. do it? I, and it's funny because, well, as you know, like you're my, it's the first podcast I've done, but I don't particularly listen. I listen to stuff to fall asleep and like my, <laughs> my learning stuff. So I don't listen to podcasts, I read. So if you transcribe something, I'll read it. I read really quickly. That's how I take in information. And that's how I learn by reading. And mm. so, you know, somebody, I always say, that, you know, don't, don't tell me something. If, I, if you tell me something, make sure I write it down or send me an email. Because again, it's how similar, how you take in information and how you learn. Yeah. Um, it's so important, so important. Five-star hospitality means having the right people in the right place at the right time. And that's exactly where RotorCloud can help. RotorCloud is the online platform that makes planning rotors, recording attendance, and managing annual leave easy. Its simple drag-and-drop interface lets you create and share rotors with your team in minutes, while our built-in budgeting tools mean you'll know exactly how much you're spending on staffing before sending the rotor out. RotorCloud also makes life easier for your staff, allowing them to check their rotors, request time off, and pick up extra shifts, all through the RotorCloud mobile app. Start your 30-day free trial today by visiting rotacloud.com forward slash fill and find out how much easier managing your team can be. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Anyway, where were we? It's University. Crazy. Recreation it's management. Good. I was at Loughborough doing recreation management, also also doing cheerleading because I'd busted my knee, so I didn't do netball. And there wasn't a dance club at Loughborough at that point. So um, the cheerleading um, had just started. Uh, I think it would have been going one or two years at that point and now their team is amazing when I, I follow them on Instagram I look at them wow um but yeah and this is where um, our stories now start separating out a bit you didn't do cheerleading I didn't do cheerleading no well no. you're crazy because some guys did come to our cheerleading and they had a really good time I so can imagine yes maybe you should have done some should have yes I don't maybe. think we even had a cheerleading group to be I, honest I probably don't think you did well you'd have to have had at that point we were only allowed to be a club if we were affiliated with the American Football Club right. yes that's just sparked a completely irrelevant memory for me around, you know, Strictly. See, not, oh, yeah. not a hospitality related subject at all. Mm-hmm. But I always remember um, them doing interviews with the dancers around, you know, how did you get into dance in the first place? Yeah. And they'd speak to, uh, I think one of the male dancers at the time was uh, Kevin Clifton, the UK yes. guy. Yes. Oh, and I did that because my dad was uh, was a dancer. And so I went, I just wanted to follow into in his footsteps. And then you spoke to Giovanni. I got into dancing because there was loads of girls <laughs> and it was it was just like well yeah why yeah. not right whatever motivates <laughs> why wouldn't you yeah exactly <laughs> yeah um so yeah I also did um yeah so I 
yeah, Winston University did cheerleading. We won the European Championships. Um, in my, oh, wow, so not my, an insignificant. Year. Uh, yeah, so we were we were good at the time, but it and I think and my daughter does it now, funnily enough, and I did not push her into it at all. It wasn't like I'm some kind of crazy cheer mum, <laughs> but it's it was really good. I, I probably learned more from doing that actually, a bit like you were saying, than from actually being at university because I took over in the last our last two years. Me and my friend George, we took over sort of running the squad and you realize with cheer there's so much you're reliant on every other person in the squad turning up for every session because you're it's a lot of gymnastics dance and acrobatics but you're all reliant on each other although you're dancing or performing sort of as individual like everybody has to be in formation and you have to have so much trust in your team because mm. you're either facing someone you're either being thrown up in the air or you're making sure that you know you're sort of spotting and making sure that nobody falls down so it I think that taught me so much around you know how you work as a team how you lead team you know stuff like that and without even really realizing it it's only since my daughter started doing it and she's like like coaching some of the real minis and she's coming home and talking to me about it and I'm like oh actually this is teaching you so much about life in general yeah who knew it's not all pom-poms Phil no, God, I, I've sat, my uh, wife is an ex-dancer and uh, we, I've sat through many uh, uh, a programme about dance yeah. with her. And I think in terms of what it teaches you from a discipline perspective, but, yeah. uh, but also, as you say, you're, if you're part of a performance, you're not the performance, then, and much, you, know, you can equate this, here we are, equating it back to hospitality. You can yeah. equate that totally to a shift, right? I mean, yeah. you know, you're, you're not the main event here you're yeah. part of a, a lot of moving parts yeah and you're only as good as yeah you'll t- you know who the people that are around you you can be the best you can be the highest performer on shift but if everybody else is rubbish it's going to be a, people are going to have a bad experience yeah so yeah lots and lots of stuff and actually one of the things that does always come high in the best places to work in hospitality is working with a team to achieve results that comes high up every year as well right um so that's important so anyway yep yeah, so at university then went off for two summer seat well went off in my, between my second and third and then after my finals i went off to greece just you know as you do to work in a bar is that just to kind of see a bit of the world don't really know went, what you want to do at this point yeah, i went of... on holiday with my mate sandra and we just decided to stay and in fact she right. then came home and i stayed and i stayed yeah i just stayed for the summer and then you opened a and b and then they wrote a musical about you yeah no <laughs> that's that that's that didn't happen no stavros the greek bar who used to by the way put cockroaches down my top when i had a tray of drinks like i mean oh we're talking God. early 90s top level sexism to the like where it was just normal like if if you didn't get a slap on the ass as you walked past it's like oh i didn't do very well on shift today yeah. you know it was a different right. level right I used, I used to sit Jesus. in a booth outside serving drinks and I'd be sitting up and I'd have a bit of pizza in one hand and I'd have my feet up and then someone would come for a drink and I'd get the ice out with my hands and shove it in the glass and nice. you know it was, yeah. time. It was like it's a different I mean, time what it was a different time it was fun so much fun and the first job I had was actually getting people into the you know those annoying people that get people into the bar but um oh, God, yeah. yeah 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 that was one of you was it that was that was one of me here's a venture go and yeah, get all your mates and again we were it it was just fun at the time because we were just we were just there just basically drinking for free all night like hanging around outside a bar and because I used to dance I used to be like doing cartwheels you know we used to be doing like gymnastics up and down the road there was a British a girl she was a British gymnast actually and she came she just remembered this she came out and she used to like backflip down the road and everyone just used to stop and talk and go what she's doing and you'd be like oh come in for a drink you know it was it was yeah it was harmless it was fun yeah. um I did that for two years and then I got back after my finals, got back, had absolutely no money, moved back in with my mum and dad. And my mum went, what are you going to do now then? I went, oh, I'm not sure. She went, well, we're not payrolling you anymore. So off you go, down the job centre. I was like, Bit of tough love. Well, uh, I haven't got a car. And uh, she said, well, no, I'm having my car and your dad's got his car, so you're going to have to walk. Uh, we'll get the bus. I was like, I haven't got any money. She was like, we have to walk then. I was like, okay. So I walked down to the job centre in living in Camberley at the time, walked down to the job centre and I looked at it and I just had this big fear of, I am not going in there. And I turned around, there was a pub behind me and I walked into the pub and I said, you've got any jobs? And they said, yes, we have. And there and started my journey into hospitality. Wow. There we are um, then. Yeah. So, the yeah. Um, similar story again, actually, yeah. 
from from my own. I remember uh, my mum and dad had a um, a hotel on the west coast of Scotland on an island called Tyree. Yeah. And when they sold that up, which coincided with me graduating from uni, I moved with them to uh, Lewick in Northumberland, which is where they yeah. ended up um, holding up. First thing I did when I got there was join the local football team because I just wanted to meet some people. And every one of the the guys on the football team who probably won't listen to this, but if you are listening to this, I'm very sorry that this is my perception of what it was like, was so depressed about the area. You know, there's no jobs. You can't can't get a job. Whereas I was focused on, right, I need to get off and running on uh, in my career. And I ended up, I actually did go into the job centre in uh, Berwick-upon-Tweed. And literally, they said, oh, if you're available this evening, I can send you for a trial shift at uh, Haggerston Castle Holiday Park. And wow. I went, yeah, let's do it. And um, didn't have to go into the mix of job centery stuff, um, yeah. uh, as it were, because I, I, I was, I didn't, I didn't want to be claiming benefit. I just wanted yeah, to same. get working. And I think yeah. I, I remember learning at that point. Actually, if you really want to work, you can work. That's what I, I remember thinking to myself. There's, yeah. uh, but it's just a perception of what you're what you believe you should be doing versus what you maybe realistically can do at that time yeah I think so and look isn't hospitality the best industry in the world that you can literally walk in somewhere start that night and I don't know if my career had taken a different path I could be you know running hospitality business right now you know how many people do we know that started off in a kitchen and now have their own businesses or are GMs of hotels or you know sales directors of food service businesses I mean it really is still I think one of the only industries where you can start anywhere and end up anywhere and there's it's not a career ladder I don't like ladders I like webs it's just this web of opportunities yeah there's a there's a lot of right to time right place yeah but if you want it I think you can get it in hospitality that I don't think there is a ceiling if you want it enough maybe that's a bit controversial I don't know but yeah I, I do I do believe that and I was still when I was working in the pub first of all I mean, first of all, I went in there having worked on commission all summer. So I went in there. It was Thursday night. DJ was playing. Thursday night, DJ night. Woo. And um, I was behind the bar serving three people at a time. Everyone else on a shift literally standing up behind the bar, like leaning on the back bar, like leaning there with their arms crossed. Like, who's this crazy chick who seems to just be... Because I was just so used to serving people. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, yeah, we don't need to do that. We're going to get paid anyway. Right? Yeah. You're making doing? it look bad. <laughs> exactly. So I don't think I was very cool. Um, but then, you know, I just really loved, I just loved it. I loved everything about it. And my then, Lynn and Rob, who were landlord, like old school, old school pub managers, they're proper landlord and landlady. They were brilliant. Like taught me so much, so much about life. You know, I was probably quite sheltered, you know, little, little blonde thing, come from love for cheerleader, woo, you know, and they were just like, we're going to toughen you up. And mm. they did. They taught me resilience. They taught, you know, Rob would always say, nobody's indispensable. You know, and that really it stuck with me. I don't know if it's true or not. It's not something you can say anymore, but it it made me, yeah, it gave me a grounding. I forget national service. I think everyone should go and work in hospitality like, uh, just I, to start their careers. I need to know. start a movement on this because um, you're you're one not the only person that's said that uh, on mm. the show. But equally, I'm, I'm the more I hear it, the more I'm thinking, damn right, because actually, yeah. you know, one, it's way easier than national service. Yeah, and and two. <laughs> What it, the life skills it, t- it would teach you in, in however long you were in it would be incredible. Totally. Yeah. It is it's crazy. Okay, let's and... start a hashtag right now. Hospitality yeah, okay. National Service. Yeah. I mean, it just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, so there I was working in the bar, like, apparently looking for a graduate job. I wasn't really looking for a graduate job. I was having a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but apparently, according to my mum and dad, I was looking for a graduate job. And then Alan Parker, our area manager, came round and was like, look, would you be interested in going on our graduate scheme? I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Oh, I'm and looking for a management that, graduate scheme. Yeah, no, I, I can, you know, I, I could probably do that. Um, and then he was like, yeah, so, you know, it's training to be sort of like, an, you know, you'd be an area manager and you would go into pubs and you'd talk to people like Lynn and Rob. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I am not, having never run a pub in my life as a 20-something-year-old going round and talking to people like who have been running pubs for 40 years and questioning about a PL. Absolutely no way I need to do this myself first. And so I decided to get a license and run my own pub right. before I then went on at that point, then went on to do 
you know, area management or whatever else it was in the business. Yeah. So I just, I did, there was a real them and us thing about head office and what was happening on site. And maybe that was just my experience of it again in the early nineties, but I just didn't want to be that head office person. If I was going to do it, I wanted to have some experience and some gravitas. And um, yeah, so I had a license at 25 and then Allied Demetra I worked with got bought out by Punch. And at that point I was ready to move on and do something a bit different. I kind of wanted a bit more of my life back in terms of weekends and stuff. And um, so I went and I worked for Bacardi Martini doing sales and marketing for, I think it was only about three or four years, but oh my God, again, so much fun. Like we, there was three of us, um, me, Liz and Louise, and we had a flat in Shepherd's Bush and I looked after, um, I looked after Shepherd's Bush, Notting Hill, sort of around that area. Liz looked after West End, uh, Louise looked after West End and Liz looked after sort of Chelsea Fulham and we were all quite suited to our areas. They matched us quite well. And we had this boss called Danny and, Again, do we have mobile phones? Yeah, we have mobile phones, but you couldn't check in on us all day. And we had company cars. We had as much stock as we could possibly want to go around. And basically, we had to do seven effective calls in a day. Now, an effective call was going into an independent bar and going, would you like to put a double optic up? Because then you'll sell more Bacardi. I mean, that was an effective call. Right. And it was brilliant. We had yeah. such a good time. And Breezer had just launched and was just kicking off. We had a hallway full of Breezer where we were allowed to go around and sample it. I mean, we had the best time. That it was like an amazing job. It was amazing. We had so much fun. But there does come a point after sort of five years of having fun in pubs or three or four, however long it was, and then three years of having fun at Bacardi, where I sort of thought, mm, I need to probably take my career a bit more seriously. <laughs> and I'm, um, I'm like a, I'm a typical Generation X and really, really loyal. And if actually, you know, on a serious note, if either Allied Demek or Bacardi at the time had sat down with me and had a proper conversation about what do you want to do with your career? What is your future? How can we help you get there? Yes, you don't have to live in Southampton to work for Bacardi. No, you don't have to be in Basingstoke to run a pub for Allied Demek or Punch, whoever it was then. Then probably I would have stayed because I am really, really loyal. Yeah, well, hello. Then I met Jane. And stayed with her. I mean, I'm still working with her. So well, it did. I, I was going to say you're absolutely showcasing your loyalty uh, for, yeah. for sure. But I, you know, I, I think I would imagine, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here as well. But underpinning all of this, actually, is the fact that you you clearly must find what you're doing fun as well, oh, because yes. I, I feel like that's been a, a a part of your journey. Is that mm. you know, yeah, you can take a career more seriously for sure, but it doesn't mean you can stop having fun. Yeah, no, definitely. I think I, by fun, I probably meant I should probably stop just drinking, drinking every yeah. night. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe just, yeah, maybe. Well, it comes a time, um, it comes a time. Yeah. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. You'll find me at most black tie slash networking events with a glass in hand still, but you know, a bit of moderation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's about having fun. And fun doesn't mean just being crazy and getting drunk. You know, for me, if fun's one of our, um, our Carrera values are achievement, authenticity, and then freedom and fun. Mm-hmm. And that's about just enjoying what you do and being able to see the light in things. Look, you know, we, we build, operate and run a system that helps people have good conversations. You know, it's not rocket science and nobody's going to die if they do. You know, it's, 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 it's important, but it should be, yeah, there's no, there's no reason why it, should be heavy or hard or yeah. you know it's yeah fun yeah yeah yeah. how did you meet jane obviously jane's been on the show so she's a friend of the show i hope yes. jane she is a friend of the show she is um she advertised she was she'd started the business um with a guy called tim brown and um he was going out delivering training and she wanted to and she sort of had the idea for the software and she advertised for it in the caterer, the back right. of the caterer, back in the day when that's where you did job ads. Oh and you're aging yourself now. I know. Well, we all know I'm old. I don't look at no feel. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> um, so she wrote, yeah, she wrote a job ad. And still to this day, I'll say this is how you should do a job ad. It's like one page CV and 10 was probably a bit much, but 10 reasons why you're the one. So one page CV, three reasons why you're the one. It just tells you everything you need to know about that person, attention to detail, what they put in it. It just, yeah, it just works. And Mike, her husband, 
was on gardening leave at that point, but he he, um, he then started and ran and successfully sold Lexington Catering, and he was on gardening leave, and um, he was sifting through the CVs, and he found mine, I'd written in purple, of course I had, and he went, she's the one, and oh. Jane went, no, we're going through a proper process. <laughs> I was the one. <laughs> but, but that's a, that's a cool and quirky little attention to detail that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I love that little... Yeah. Everybody would do that now, there. right? But... You know, back again, back in the day, you know, it's just, yeah, yeah, it was, it was good. And then, yeah, then Jane and I just worked together. Like, I can't believe 20 years, but like, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. And we did look, we did so much, too much probably. And we worked with some, you know, we've had some amazing people in the business. And as I said, COVID was tough. It was, it was really hard for us. You know, we, we obviously worked really hard to be a good place to work. And therefore, people stayed. We got to know people really, really well. And you know, we had to, we had to come to the point where we were like, well, you know, for both of us, we probably both need to do something a bit different. Jane wanted to spend more time in LA, where one of her daughters was. I was sort of thinking, you know, what 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 do I do next? What's what's for me? And so we, yeah. So me and three of the people that were in the Purple Cube business, we bought out the technology talent toolbox as it was and we've been redeveloping that behind the scenes for quite a long time anyway but we thought yeah we want to go again with the technology and take that to market um so we were very lucky because we got we took the technology redeveloped the technology fairly quickly i've spent the last year moving our clients over from the older technology to the new technology which hasn't been without its issues but i think we're we're there now with that and now at the point where we want to start sort of onboarding some new clients onto it and we've got a couple of new clients that have been using it and yeah, really, that's really exciting. And having, you know, having three co-founders rather than just me and Jane, it's just a completely different dynamic and it's exciting. And there's loads of stuff that I look back now and go, God, why did we do that in Purple Cube? And, you know, and now we're like on this new journey. But at the same time, I'm really lucky in that Jane still absolutely is working and wants to work. And what her and I really love doing is helping businesses be great places to work. So we work with organisations around employee experience. So anything from helping people with their employee value proposition to understanding what's going on in the business now, as far as the people stuff is concerned and put action plans in place, um, helping people with their values and then how to embed them. Um, so, look, you know, if, it, if it's sort of happening in the people space, Jane and I probably handle it, but anything to do with the tech and the surveys, that's the Carrero side of the business. And I'm privileged, right? I get to work across both businesses. So yeah, it's it feels like new beginnings and it's it's really exciting and sort of just getting our head round. It took a the COVID thing did it it hit us hard, it hit our business hard. Yeah. You know, it the last four years have been tough, but I do feel like we're we're coming out the other side and people you know, probably the first time ever are really recognizing that the technology that we bring can really help and really make a difference in helping keep people, you know, for the reasons I talked about earlier, really, mm. you know, and I'm, I'm really excited about where we can, where we can take it. And yeah. And Rob, as I say, Rob um, is really helping us on that journey as well. Just sorting ourselves out internally, just the way we do things. So we, so we can work in the business. We don't have to work on the business. Yeah. 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 But you know, that's all part of the the journey, right? The journey yeah. um, is, the journey. is, evolution you know you you have to things change it's inevitable that they do and okay i don't think anybody expected the change of the magnitude that happened in 2020 yeah. but um but you know i think the, the the easy option in situations like that is to put your tail between your legs and run away you know oh, no. whereas you have to <laughs> you have it seems kind of just you know you've had to sit through what has been a really tough period but actually through mm. that can you know can amazing things happen and yes. Uh, it sounds like you're now in a better place for it definitely and I think much much clearer personally and with both businesses about what our you know was, was we talked about at the beginning about purpose and you know I know the purpose of the Carrero business is to help people have better conversations to have better careers to have better lives and you know we've, we've got technology that can enable team members and leaders and businesses to to do that and do that really well and fit in with other you know in other tech stacks you know it's a completely I'll talk to I'll talk to Chris on Tech and Toast podcast because you know I'm going to be a podcast person now Phil yeah. after yeah. you've uh, you've inducted me um, but yeah you know and and with the other business I get to help people be amazing places to work which 
yeah, it's a privilege. It's great. Anyway, we're probably yeah. about to time up, aren't we? Well, ah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Four hours later. Um, Sorry, yeah, I know. Probably should. I do talk, don't I? Oh my God, when I get on a roll. No, no, do you know what? I, I made some notes of stuff that maybe wanted to talk about if we were struggling for conversation, as yeah. per that you would for, for anyone. I've not ticked off any of these things that are on my notes. <laughs> um, the one thing that, that really made me chuckle from the stuff that you wrote down, though, was your, and I found this inc- almost d- impossible to believe, that you yeah. have a resting bitch face. Because every time I've met you and spoken to you, you've always been so, even when you've been going through the shit, um, yeah. you know, you've, you've always been upbeat, positive, uh, happy, not, no, not happy per se, but certainly the demeanor that you portray to the world. And I've always been a big believer that like positivity and happiness are the things which help you solve problems. Ultimately, you yes. can't solve any problem with negativity. That's, you know, no. that's just no, no, a not fact. So for the, for me to then read that you have this thing on virtual calls, and we're on a virtual call now, that uh, that resting bitch face might be a thing. I, I, I'm yeah. flummoxed, flummoxed. Oh, and I think, do you know what? It's my it's my thinking face. It's, you know, when, and it's one of the reasons that I don't like doing public speaking and I don't, you know, I don't do, don't do a lot of this kind of thing and I need to do more, is that when people are thinking and taking in information, often they look like that, you know, they their face is concentrating. It's like a concentrating face. And my yep. concentrating face is, it looks like I hate you. <laughs> so when I'm on virtual calls or when I'm with people, I don't know, I very consciously make sure that even when I'm just listening, that I'm smiling or that I've got my face arranged in a way that doesn't right. make people think, oh my God, have I upset her? But yeah, if, if, speak to the, if you speak to Steve or Sean or Tom, my lovely co-founders who I spend a lot of time on Zoom with, they will tell you that, yeah, who are like, you're right. I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just thinking. <laughs> yeah, but I, I suppose they're right there as well as another example of uh, um, my chair keeps making all sorts of noises. Um, right there is a um, an example of uh, a hospitality mentality because you could just sit there and accept that, you know, this is my face, get over it. Or <laughs> you could actually then say to someone, or, or not even say, but you're conscious mm-hmm. of the fact that you might be portraying this disinterested look to somebody so you've thought about how you're making them feel in this situation and um, totally. like yeah. if anyone if anyone ever does any kind of getting up on stage and talking and I'm in the audience look at me because I will nod and smile at you all the way through it because I tell you what having someone who's nodding and smiling at you and seems to be agreeing with what you say gives you so much confidence when you're up on stage yeah. if everyone's just literally staring at you I, in my head I'm thinking yeah this is not they'll hate me well. I'm talking crap I don't know what I'm going on about. And that dialogue then takes over my, what I'm actually saying dialogue. Mm. So yeah. did you have nodding and smiling? At you exactly. Well, yeah. you're really good at this. And <laughs> I was really nervous about coming and doing this because I've never done it before. And I'm, I'm not a fan of talking about myself or getting up on stage and all of that kind of stuff. And, and yeah, you, you're, yeah, you're very good at it. Cause you really put me at ease and I forget, I've forgotten that we're recording. Oh, very good. Well, that's that's kind yeah. of the objective. I, yeah. want, I want to to showcase the best of people. We're not here to catch people out or or you know yeah. get them to say controversial sound bites uh, or or anything like no. that. And um, it's it's not even that. It's just that you, I want to represent not myself really, but I want to represent like the you know the Carrero business, the boys, Jay, you know all the people that I work with. You want to represent people in the best possible light. You know you want to give it your best shot, don't you? Yeah. And I'm sure, I mean, I will not, absolutely will not listen to this. I can't, I can't listen to my voice. Even in the pubs, you know, they used to be, used to ring the bell for last orders and I used to always have a bell. But then when I went to run the pub, they had a microphone there and I would, I would always get someone else to do it because I just don't like the sound of my own voice so much. Really? Really? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you kind of get used to it. I, I um, when I first started this, I realised that when I was doing the introductions that I sounded like, a, as I put it, I think some, uh, a depressed Andy Murray. <laughs> um, so you know he's got quite a, got quite depressing tones already right he's um so so I, I i guess one i've learned to cope with yeah. the way that my voice sounds but two i have also when it comes to when i'm doing any direct to microphone work that's not just a natural conversation like this yeah. is that i go into radiohead so i you know i'm just a little bit more upbeat than perhaps i have i, I would be normally <laughs> So, um, but that's, you know, you live and learn. And I, and I think it, it's just, this, it's exactly the same principle comfort zone wise with everything. Yeah. Is that it, the stories that you tell yourself, right, are the things that stop you doing 
things. Um, mm. You've been a, an absolute natural to have on the show today, and I'm very, very grateful for the time that, that we've had. There's probably other questions that I should be asking, no. um, but um, you've had a really interesting journey. I think what you're doing, you're scratching a, an itch that the industry needs big time. Um, yeah. So I, I would urge anybody out there who's listening to this who is interested in any way, shape or form of just improving the, the way that they engage with their, their people is to reach out and have a conversation with you, even if it doesn't go anywhere. Uh, and no, you're, you're exactly. a, a very open person when it comes to that. Totally. Oh, you know, any advice, I'm into loads of people. Like any advice, like I, anyway, I get told off the whole time for giving my time away for free, but it's it's not that. I genuinely enjoy like just meeting people and catching up with people and stuff like that. And also, I'm not going to sell you anything that you don't want and I'm not going to hound you or <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, that's just not me. I'll literally send you two emails following up and then I'm like, okay, you know where I am. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. No, Absolutely. you won't get a hard sell from me <laughs> ever. <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, I'll put all the information in the show notes, but if people do want okay. to reach out to you, what is the, the best method for them to do that? Um, I'm on LinkedIn and or joe at hellocarrero.co. Very good. Excellent. So, yeah, either of those. But yeah. Brilliant. So thank you well, so much. It's been a pleasure, pleasure, as yes, always. Likewise. Yeah. And, and um, degree. That's brilliant. Yeah. And well, and thank you for sharing your story with the world. Thank you. All right. Take care. <laughs> Bye. And there we have it. What a fabulous journey from Joe so far, doing hugely important work for the industry. If you care about your people, I'd urge you to reach out to her for a coffee. I'm going to have a cheeky bonus for you this week on Friday, which you won't want to miss. But until then, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you then.